course, this last Thursday night, we had the LWA Christmas program, and I hope some of you all were also a part of, of that event. Uh, that was, uh, uh, it ended up being, I think, 167 people, children, students on the platform at one time or another. And so it was a very, very full, uh, full uh, performance that they gave. It was a very special time. Uh, in fact, if you were here on Thursday night, you probably saw we, we had to have chairs added to the back. It was so, uh, so uh, such a full uh, and well-attended event. And it reminded me of uh, a story that I know I've, I've shared with you before about a little boy that was in a Christmas program, and, and uh, he was really nervous. You know, if, if you've been in one of these, maybe as a child, you can remember how nerve-wracking it is to stand in, in front of everyone. And he was nervous, and, and so he, uh, he was working on his line uh, all week, and his mom uh, realized that it was, was going to be quite a challenge for him. So she said, I will sit up near the front row, and if, if for some reason you, you forget, I'll whisper it to you and remind you. And so that made him feel a lot better, and he got up to the, uh, to the platform, and finally it was his time and he froze. He was just frozen. He could not remember a thing. And so his mom leaned up and she whispered, I am the light of the world. And then immediately he was relieved and he started to smile and he even beamed when he said, my mom is the light of the world. And aren't we glad that we have godly mothers who maybe they aren't the light, but they point us to the light. This morning, we are reading a passage uh, from John chapter 1, which is our, our chapter really for the Christmas season. And in this passage, we read about the one who is not the light himself, but he is a witness to the light. And that is, of course, as we saw uh, Miss Becky read for us earlier uh, in the video, that this is indeed John the Baptist. John 1, beginning in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So we see this morning that there is a testimony that's being declared. And that, of course, is the testimony we read from John the Baptist, that Jesus is the true light. In fact, he is described, John the Baptist is, uh, by John the Apostle in verse 6 as a man sent from God. And so God had a very special plan for John the Baptist. In fact, when you and I think of John the Baptist, we could rightly think of him as we would an Old Testament prophet. You might think of, of Isaiah, or you might think of Jeremiah. You think of, of these individuals that God raised up to, 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 to bring an important message, and John the Baptist is just like they are. In fact, Jesus would describe John the Baptist in this way in Luke 16. It says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. And so we see the connection there. The law and the prophets, John the Baptist. We see that he, in many ways, was, was ushering in a, a new era, and it's because he was proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. So we see that John is the final prophet before the arrival. He was a forerunner 
to the Messiah to prepare the way. And he also was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 says this, A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. So this man, John the Baptist, was prophesied in the book of Isaiah hundreds of years before he would be born. Also, in the final book of the Old Testament, he is mentioned in the book of Malachi, the final chapter, uh, mentioning that, that there would be another prophet sent by God. And so these prophecies are fulfilled in John the Baptist, a man who came to be a witness that the, that the Messiah was arriving in fact, if you've been working through our, our Advent cards, and I hope that you've had that box that you've been going through uh, the cards, we have one uh, that will uh, be tomorrow's card that will describe John the Baptist this way. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way and to make the people ready for the coming of the Messiah. He preached a message of repentance, meaning turn, uh, turning away from sin. He was a light, but not the light. So we see that, that John the Baptist is a witness. He has come to testify. And the witness is not the light, but the witness is the one who points others to the light. And so, of course, John the Baptist was a very special witness, one that we can even see is a, is a confirmation that Jesus was who he said he was. Because that prophecy, the prophecy of the forerunner, uh, was fulfilled in John the Baptist. So as we think about this first chapter of John, I'm reminded today that it is a, it is a prologue. It is an introduction, really, for the entire gospel. And what we see in the, in the prologue are some themes that are also picked up on later in the book of John. And so it's as if uh, the Apostle John is wanting to set the stage and give some of these themes. And one of them is a theme that Jesus picked up on himself. And that is the phrase that we read earlier, light of the world. That Jesus was coming to be the light of the world. And that Jesus would later say himself, I am the light of the world. It was a phrase that, that was used to identify who Jesus was and why he came. So we, we begin in our passage this morning by seeing that there is a testimony. There is a witness. And that testimony is that Jesus is the true light. But then we want to see next that there is evidence that this testimony was correct. And so I want us to see the evidence that Jesus gives and, 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 and that he himself offers both light and life. And so Jesus picked up on this theme in John chapter 8. So if you're in chapter 1 and want to flip over to chapter 8, we're going to see that Jesus is communicating more than we might initially think when we hear the words about light. Obviously, light is something that illuminates the path something that is, that is necessary for, for guidance and for, uh, for, for moving in, in and about a, a dark place. We think of light as something that exposes what is hidden. We think of, of light that, that pro uh, provides all of the, the life that we enjoy as we think about the light of the sun. But we're going to see that, that not only is all of that true in Christ, but as we look at the words in John 8, we're going to see that he is even making a bolder claim than what we might first 
understand when he says that he is the light of the world. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. And notice what they say next. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. So this is a, this is a very uh, intriguing statement. In fact, an intriguing exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees the spiritual leaders of the day. And in fact, uh, if we were to read down to verse 20, we would see that Jesus is making this statement not outside of town, not somewhere over on the hillside. He is at the temple, inside the temple, making the claim that he is the light of the world. And if we jump back to John chapter 7, just to get the context, we would see that he's not only at the temple, he is there right after a very important feast known as the the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it's it's as if he's coming at the tail end of a holiday. And the holiday was used for the people of Israel to reflect back upon God's provision for them in their their time in which they were uh, in the wilderness. So if you think back, The people of Israel were in bondage. They were in slavery under the hand of who? The Egyptians, right? The Pharaoh. And so so they they miraculously were saved by God to, to, to leave that place and leave that tyranny and go across the, 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 the sea into the desert, into the wilderness, on their way to the promised land. And in between those two places, they saw God miraculously provide for them because they were, they were people on their way to the promised land. And so he gave them what they needed. And so this feast of the shelters was a time for them to reflect on how God provided while they were living, even in some temporary locations with tents and, 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 and such as they moved from one to the other. And so, so part of what they would do is they would celebrate by, by taking time to, to put up some of these shelters and they would be reminded of how God provided for them. They would also have a time in this, in this uh, feast where they would, they would pour out a significant amount of water and it would remind them of the time in which their, their, uh, their forefathers were in the desert looking for water and how Moses was able to strike a rock and how water came forth to, to provide for their need. But the celebration included one other thing, not just the little shelters, not just the water. It also included light. And so there in the temple, these massive candelabras were were erected in the in one of the courts of the temple and and it would it would be fueled uh, so that it would provide light for the temple and really the whole area uh, at darkness in fact uh, these candelabras were so tall uh, they were they were as tall as the walls of the temple 70 feet high 
And so there's an artist's rendition that we have, just a, a picture, and on the, on the left side, it's, 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 it's portraying what, what the, what the uh, courtyard would have looked like in the day, and then on the, on the right side at night, and you can see these, these massive candelabras, 70 feet high. In fact, from what I read, it took 65 gallons of oil to have on hand just to, to light and to keep the candelabras lit at night. And in fact, as I said, the, the light was more than just what the courtyard needed. It went all over into the city. And it was a time in which people not only reminisced and remembered what God had done, but they celebrated. And if you look at the picture on the right, you can see that the people are dancing. They're celebrating and, and remembering how God had indeed provided. Yes, shelter. Yes, water. But also giving them light. In fact, if you look back to Exodus chapter 13, you can be reminded of how the light was there to guide them and to assure them that God's presence was with them. Exodus 13, it says in verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. What's the, 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 the big idea is that, that God is with them, that he's leading them as a, as a cloud or as a fire. Verse 22 says, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. So let's go back to John chapter 8, and let's think about Jesus. Where is he teaching? He's teaching in the temple. When is he teaching? Right at the end of the feast of the uh, of the shelters and and he's 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 there by the treasury it says in in verse 20 so so very close proximity to one of these candelabras again these candelabras which represented the pillar of light they represented god's presence through the wilderness and it's at this very place and in this very time that jesus says i am the light of the world. Now the feast is over. The massive candelabras have been extinguished. It would be like at the end of the Christmas holiday when we would be turning off the Christmas lights, right? We would be putting away the Christmas tree. This is what it was like in that day. They were finishing up the holiday and Jesus stands under these light fixtures and makes a very bold claim. You might say, well, what exactly is he doing? right there in the temple. What kind of claim is he making? Well, when we connect the dots with the symbolism of what those candelabras were reminding the people, he is making a divine claim. I am the light of the world. I am God. I am the one that goes before you. So, so for us to understand the magnitude of the claim, we have to think about how the word light would have struck the Jewish mindset of the day. And we can think Back to some Old Testament passages that, uh, that speak of, of the title light and to know that that title would be reserved for God alone. Let me give just a few examples. Psalm 27 verse 1 says this, the Lord, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 19, the Lord will be your everlasting light. Micah chapter 7, verse 8, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And so these Pharisees that are hearing the words of Jesus, 
They know the Bible. They're scholars. They know these passages. And so when he says, I am the light of the world, they are thinking about these very texts. And they are thinking about Exodus. And they are thinking of the the celebration. And they're saying, this son of a carpenter is here in the temple, standing next to the candelabras, making a claim to say that he is the light of the world. You see, he's making a claim to be God. And a divine claim, listen to me, friends, is a claim of authority. A divine claim is a claim of authority. And so today, when people reject the light, when people reject Christ, you know what they are ultimately rejecting? His authority. They don't want to be told. They don't want to be led. They want to do it their way. They have it all figured out. And I'm speaking in general statements, aren't I? But we know that many times that's exactly the case. They don't want to live under the authority of Christ. And I can assure you, the Pharisees did not want him to be making a claim of divinity or a claim of authority. Again, he was the son of a carpenter. Why would they submit to him? Who did this Jesus think he was? So their statement was, you're making a testimony and your testimony is not valid. They didn't accept it. And one day, this same group would be the ones who would assist in the process of having him crucified. They didn't want him as authority. They didn't want him as Lord. But as we continue looking at John chapter 8, verse 12, we notice there's another aspect here to the passage. Let's look at it again. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So this this metaphor of Jesus not only being the light of the world, but also it extends by saying those who follow him will not be in darkness. So we see that there is a claim about him that also impacts those who follow him. So we we see that, that when Jesus makes this claim, he makes the claim about himself, but he also explains the difference that it makes for those who follow. Just as, as the, the, uh, the, the, the forefathers had followed the light in the desert, he is making the connection that today people were called to follow him. And so we see the contrast here between light and darkness. John 8, 12 talks both about light and darkness. The Bible has a lot to say about light and darkness. It's a metaphor that's used many times. One example is Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And so Paul is telling the church in Ephesus that there was a time that you were in darkness, but now that you are in Christ, you are in light. And you are able to live in accordance with the light that's been given to you. And we we understand that the metaphor has spiritual implications thinking about, about the life, the spiritual life that comes, but, but also and how it, it guides and directs one with new life and how they are to live. Continue reading with me, verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless works of what? Darkness. But instead, expose them. And so we we see this theme of light and darkness. And you might stop and just ask yourself, where, where do you see darkness in our world today? Is it darkness in spiritual understanding? Is it darkness in in morality? Is it darkness in speech, such as gossip or slander or lying? I mean, all of these are forms of darkness. That's not forms of living in the light. Maybe you can think of of moral sin or sexual sin or, or lust or pornography or something even like anger or hatred, bitterness, all of these, again, forms of darkness, not light. We could go on and on, couldn't we, to describe what it means to, to have dark thinking or dark living, because that's the, that's the natural way of the carnal fleshly mind. It's the natural way of the world. And yet, yet the good news is, is that, that we don't have to remain in the darkness, In fact, Colossians chapter 1 has a a powerful statement about this in verse 13. It says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So as we celebrate the Christmas season, as we think of, of the words of John the Baptist testifying that Jesus has come, that he is the light of the world, we can reflect today that we've been rescued. We've been rescued out of the, 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 the darkness, out of the other domain, and we are now called to be in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. And in doing so, we are, we are taught how to live in the ways of the light a life that has consistency and integrity by following after Christ, following after his truth. In fact, the Apostle John would say more about this in his epistle, 1 John chapter 1. It says in verse 7, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So we see again this connection. Yes, Jesus is the light of the world. We're called to live in the light as we follow him and his ways, his principles. And you might ask, well, what if someone has been introduced to Christ, but they're not following the path of Christ? You could, you could and we, we know that, we see that, we see examples of that. And, and we, we, we then must, must say that what they need are the ways of Christ, they need, they need the light of Christ to guide them and to receive that, to accept that. So we, we, we realize that the question is whether we will continue to live in darkness or follow the light of Christ. Now, the Pharisees, they made quite a statement. They said, your testimony is not valid. And that's a, that's a statement that is made today over and over. Maybe not with the very words, but that sentiment. When someone rejects the claims that Jesus made about himself, they're saying the same thing. When someone is rejecting the light of life that he offers, the ways in which he guides and directs to live in, the, in this new domain, this new kingdom of light 
It's a choice that one must make if they're going to follow in the path of light or remain in the ways of darkness. I believe that God's word and his spirit lead in the paths of light, not darkness. And that's part of, of one's Christian testimony as they grow in faith, as they grow in an understanding of how God is working in one's life. It leads us to the place of light. But I also want us to see that there is a promise here. When we think about the idea of following Christ and following the light, think about what that would have looked like in the days of the wilderness. As long as that cloud of protection was with them by the day, and as long as that, that column, that pillar of fire was with them at night, they didn't have to worry because they knew they had they had the presence of God. He was guiding them. He was with them. He was protecting them, whether it was night or daytime. And I wonder, is there maybe a parallel for us to think of that as well? Maybe it's not a physical pillar in front of us at day and night, but we have something greater than that. We have the fact that God himself has come to be the light of the world, that he has given us his Holy Spirit to indwell. He's given us his word to be a light unto our path, that we have this in front of us as we think about our lives and to know that just as those people so many years ago were not left alone, we also are not left alone. And so we don't have to stumble through the dark world, but instead we can have guidance we can have provision. We can have an understanding because we have the light of Christ. But we can say all of that and then say the reverse is also true. That people without Christ, they can become disoriented and confused. They can be apt to follow so many different things, really, really almost anything to try to navigate the world, but to do so without the light of life. I've read quotes through the years of Famous people, famous people who had reached their goals, who had had lots of, of success, even material success, but in the end still felt empty. One example is a, a Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Albert Georgi, and he had a, a Nobel Prize given to him uh, for medicine and physiology. He was born in Hungary, uh, lived uh, uh, much of his life also in the United States, he died in 1986 at the age of 93. He had accomplished quite a bit, wouldn't you say? I mean, even to, to be one of those few that wins a prize like the, the Nobel Prize. But he was asked a question when he was older. When he was nearing the end of his life, someone asked him, if you were 20 years old again, what would you do? You've probably heard similar questions, you know, people thinking back, you know, talking to, to one who has lived a very full and rich and meaningful life, and, you know, what would you say to your 20-year-old self kind of a question? Well, here's what this man said. He said, and I, and I quote, if I were 20 years old today, I would share with my classmates the rejection of the world as it is. Is there any point in studying and work? Fornication. At least that is something good. What else is there to do? Fornicate and take drugs against this terrible strain of idiots who govern the world. End quote. You think, what a miserable, miserable perspective of life. Really, that, that's what he's got? 
After all of these years and all of this success and all of the acclaim, that's his perspective in the end? Something that's cold? Something that's dark? Something that's hopeless? Did you hear any light in that quote? It was none. You see, without the light of life, the world can be disorienting. It can be depressing. It can be senseless, as it was to Dr. Georgi. And when Jesus is rejected, sometimes this includes people outright mocking him or spurning him. There's an account that describes a debate that took place at Cambridge many years ago. The late Stephen Hawking uh, was debating John Lennox, a believer in Christ, also a mathematics professor at Oxford. And they were preparing for this debate, and a reporter was asking them questions and began with Stephen Hawking and said, could you give a comment on religion? And this is what he said. He said, religion is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. That was, his, that was his perspective. Religion is a fairy tale, a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And the reporter wanted to be fair, and so the reporter turned to John Lennox and said, would you give a comment on atheism? And he said, atheism, atheism is a fairy story for people afraid of the light. And you see, you see both perspectives there, don't you? The very light of Jesus Christ can be rejected. Just like the Pharisees. What did they say? Your testimony is not valid. Basically, I don't want your light. And many people make that decision. I'm sure you know the name Hugh Hefner. You know what he was involved with, what he started and, and promoted, and what his whole life was about. But, but did you know that Hugh Hefner was raised in a, in a Christian home? See, he rejected he rejected the light. He rejected Christ. Joseph Stalin, you know who he is, what he lived for. Well, at one time in his life, he, he studied for the Orthodox priesthood, made quite a change in direction. Mao Zedong, the chairman who first established communism in China, which we understand means that you know, atheism is really the religion in a communistic setting. I was surprised to read that he was raised under the influence of the teaching of missionaries there. But again, it's as if he said, your testimony is not valid. These are all individuals who could have followed Christ, but they made another choice. Instead, they chose darkness. Also in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. Romans chapter 1 speaks of a person's heart being darkened when the light of life is rejected. So we see that there are two paths. They lead in two different directions. They have different destinations. One is called darkness. The other is called light. And the call here is to follow Christ, to live in his light while we have the opportunity. And so as we think about John the Baptist, we think about his testimony. We think about his witness to point people to the light of the gospel. And as we were reminded last week that Jesus has commissioned us as well to do that very thing. The late John Stott once said, and he understood that by being from, from, uh, from England, 
that, uh, that as, a, as a visitor to, to America, he made a statement about what he noted was growing dishonesty, growing corruption, growing immorality and violence, all kinds of disrespect for, for, uh, for human life. And he says, yes, it's happening in America. It has happened in England. And he says, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it that we see all of this happening? And here's how, here's how he answered the question. He said, if the house is dark at night, there is no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? He said, if, if someone has meat and it goes bad, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That's what happens when bacteria is allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? You might say, where is the preservative? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or stinking meat, there's no sense, he says, in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask, he says, is where is the church? And I think that's a good point because we see that all around us and it can be easy to find the deeds of darkness. The question is, what is the church doing? What is the church proclaiming? Are we testifying as John the Baptist did and pointing people to the light of the world? You see, Jesus came and he was on a mission to set people free, to deliver them out of darkness, to release them from bondage. And we, as the people of God, as a church, we have an opportunity to be the lighthouse for those who are out sailing on dark seas. Before they crash into a coastline, we can be part of the rescue. You see, there is light in God's grace. There is light in his mercy, in his love, in his compassion. All of these things can be freely given to those who are surrounded by darkness. And so I think this time of the year is a wonderful reminder that even as we think about what John testified to and what Jesus came to, to proclaim as light of the world, that we have also been charged to point people to him as well. That we can be a conduit of hope that is found in Christ, the light of the world. So that's the testimony that Jesus is the true light. That's the evidence that Jesus offers light and life. But our conclusion today as we wrap up is the decision, because there is a call to believe. Just as the, the Pharisees and those who were listening to, to Jesus in John 8 had the opportunity to believe, we know that, that, uh, that there is a call for us as well. In fact, look back to John chapter 1, and embedded there in verse 7, we see that there really is a call for a response. Look at verse 7 again. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. A call to believe, a call to respond. In fact, I was talking with someone just before the service started, and he made a statement. He said, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a wonderful time of the year for someone to believe in Christ, 
for someone to place their faith in him. And maybe there are some here in this room. Maybe there are some who are here watching online who have, who have heard, who have seen, and yet have not quite believed. Well, that's why John the Baptist testified, so that all might believe. Maybe today there is a decision to be made. Maybe today is a day of salvation for someone to say, yes, I've heard, and I want Christ. I want his life. I want his light. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I want to be rescued from this domain of darkness. Well, also in John chapter 1, a little later, there's a reminder. It says in verse 12, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. There's an invitation for each of us, for each of us to place faith and trust in the one who says, I am the light of the world. Would you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of the year. That in many ways, the world pauses and reflects upon the greatest rescue mission that has ever taken place. Lord, we know that the world may not in many times or occasions recognize the fullness of what is described in these accounts. But God, you have disclosed to us your reason for coming. You have made the declaration that you are the light of the world. And so we draw near to you this day and we begin our response by thanking you. Thanking you for bringing us to yourself. Thanking you for, the, for the, the salvation, the light of your salvation that each of us have had the opportunity to receive. God, I pray that it will, it will guide us, not just through a holiday season, but may it guide us every day of our lives between now and that day in which we enter our promised land as we are preparing for that time. And Lord, I pray that we can see the example of John the Baptist, the one who was a faithful witness. And Lord, may we find opportunities this Christmas season to point people to the light of Christ. We thank you for that, that privilege, that opportunity to be a light in this world. And Father, we know that there are so many things happening in the world today that are truly heartbreaking. At times they can, they can, they can really just cause great uncertainty and even, even delusionment. And we pray that, that you will give clarity and guidance, that you will be the light. Be the light for us, be the light for our community. And as we reflect upon your magnitude, we know that yes, you are the light of the world. So God, take your words today and apply them, use them, draw each of us to a closer walk with you. We pray now in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all of God's people said, amen.